Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, Psalm 37 and then John 15. We're going to be primarily in those two places. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up and look there with me. And uh, we'll start this morning here in Psalm 37, 3 through 5. And I want to warn you, I'm going uh, with the New American Standard Bible, all right? That was the translation I started with when I first came to know the Lord. And this verse uh, sticks in my head. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And I went with that translation because of that phrase right there. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Now, you don't have to be a farmer. Uh, to know how to cultivate, right? Many of you have gardens. Many of you have plants and things that you uh, take care of and you love work in the soil. And so you would understand what that idea of cultivating is. I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin and every spring out would come, right, the plows and the disc rakes and all the things that you do to cultivate the land. And um, in my dad's case, in our garden, it was a hole. (laughs) But the idea there is you had to work it. In other words, it it was something that had to be prepped, something that had to be anticipated before you actually reaped a harvest. You could not reap a harvest if you didn't cultivate. And so this verse is talking about this idea of cultivate faithfulness. And the idea here is that cultivating or cultivation is always an intentional process. Have you ever noticed with your garden it doesn't happen by accident? It never cultivates itself. It, it has to be acted upon, and usually that's you. And here we're admonished not to cultivate the land, but rather to cultivate faithfulness. And I think if there's any call that's going to be out there for 215, is a call to God's people to remain faithful to him in spite of the pressures or things that will come our way. Uh, there's a tremendous tendency to lose faithfulness, and I think... Here the word is encouraging us to cultivate it. Particularly, we want to cultivate our relationship with the Lord. In other words, that is something that can be grown. That is something that can be deepened. That is something uh, you never tap the bottom of it. Even if you know him, it doesn't mean you can't know him more. You can't know him better. You can't learn things about him you hadn't known before. And so uh, 215 could be an incredible year of adventure and discovery Uh, if we approach our relationship with him like this. You can see in this verse there's a a pattern laid out here that it says, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. Um, As I was looking at that, I was thinking, usually the process is a little different than that for me and and maybe for you as well. Usually how it works for me is... um, you know, here it says delight and then commit and then trust. Usually how it works for me is first I commit most of the time, half the time, not knowing what I'm getting into. Anybody else there with me? Or am I the only one who does, does this, right? So I commit. Then halfway through, I start figuring out what I actually committed to and go, oh, no, right? And then I have to figure out how to trust him. And it isn't until I get all the way through that, then I actually start delighting in the process Right. So for me, it's backwards. I usually commit. Then I learn how to trust. And then after the fact, I start delighting in the whole process. Right. Start delighting him because I can see his hand in it. And so as we're we're doing that this morning, we're going to explore that process a little bit of what we're really talking about is how to delight ourselves in the Lord, 
how to really enjoy him. So would you join me in prayer this morning as we seek, seek him for that? Father, um, we know relationships on our level. We know what it's like to have human relationships, have human friends. We know what it's like to have best friends. We know what it's like to invest in a relationship. Lord, many of us know what it's like to have been betrayed in that as well. And so when we come to this idea of your presence, cultivating it, um, it's something that is a challenge for us. You are different than us. You are invisible. You are bigger than us. Your ways are not our ways. And so a lot of times we are often perplexed even though we've learned to trust you. And Lord, there's a big difference between knowing about you and delighting in you. And that heart transfer, that heart issue, is something that uh, we want to cultivate in 215. So we ask your favor on the thoughts today and ask your favor on our uh, relationship with you. Lord, feel free to rumble among us in your spirit and talk to us individually as well as corporately. This is your place. We are your church. We are your sons and daughters. We ask for your favor as dad and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. All right, so stay in Psalm 37. Let's uh, look at that. If you look at the beginning of the psalm, it uh, takes us to the same kind of theme we were talking about uh, in Psalm 73 last week. Psalm 73, remember, the psalmist looked at people who were getting away with sin and getting away with all holy heck, and he was bugged. And part of what bugged him was the fact that they seemed to be getting ahead, and part of it was they seemed to be having fun. And he was like, you know what? It has done me nothing to keep my hands washed and my soul clean. And I, what, how have I gotten ahead? I might as well just party like them because secretly I really want to do that anyways. That was kind of the theme of it. And it goes on to say in the psalm, if I had spoken that way, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. And so the psalmist catches himself being lured or um, taunted towards walking away from God, walking away from the relationship. This psalm carries the same kind of flavor. It says this, Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious towards wrongdoers. For they will wither quickly like grass and fade like the green herb. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because the man who carries out wicked schemes. Part of what messes us up are the plans or schemes of those who oppose the Lord. Right? Many times it seems like they run into no conflict or opposition whatsoever. And so sort of the attitude is, well, Lord, what good are you if you don't help the righteous and the wicked just get away with anything they want? What difference does it make, really? That's a very practical mindset that often we find ourselves wrestling with. And there's also the um, part on the believer's side. You know, I, we wouldn't say this outwardly, but inwardly we think it. I'm sick of waiting. I'm sick of resting. I've had enough of that. You haven't come through. I've just been patient and nothing's happened and it isn't uh, turning a corner. So I'm just done. I'm just done with that. I want something to change. And if you're not going to change it, then I'll change it. Anybody ever been there? Said that? Right? If you're not going to make a move, I'm going to make a move. Now, we probably also discovered that's a really bad idea and probably some of the worst messes and the worst stains on our conscience and our souls is when we've done that. 
And usually you don't get more than three seconds into it and you look and go, oh, that was stupid. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, that's part of what this is talking about is saying, don't fret because there's a tendency to fret that people are getting away with stuff. There's a tendency to not only know they're getting away with stuff, but to be envious that they're getting away with it. Right. We talked about, remember, when your children come to you and they say, but mom, dad, everybody's doing it. Right. And so we say to the Lord, but Jesus, everybody's doing it. Have you ever had the Lord say to you, others may, you may not. Now, that's a chafing point, isn't it? Why not? That's not fair. How dare you? You're going to single me out and, and let other people get away with stuff, even believers, and, and I can't? And the Lord goes, yeah, that's right. Others may, you may not. In Jeremiah, there's a passage that says, be still and know that I'm in the Lord. In your rest is your salvation. But then we never read the following verses, and the following verses are, but you would have none of it. And that's what this psalm is kind of kicking up here. Again, the idea of getting envious over others takes away the sense of rest and being content in the Lord. And uh, with godly contentment, there is great satisfaction, but it takes a while to get there. Learn to be content in all our circumstances. And usually the caveat is when others are getting ahead, we said last week that the caveat is it means usually they're getting ahead of me. They're getting somewhere where I want to go. Why can they get there and I can't get there? That could be, I mean, right, career. Have you ever been envious of somebody who uh, crookedly got promoted and you didn't? Or houses or boats or trucks or hair color or height? or I mean, right, we can be envious about anything. And it's, that's just an amazing thing about us. And so one of the things, is the question is, well, how do I know if, if I'm at rest, or how do I know if I'm being content? And one of the telltale signs is the uh, issue of unresolved anger internally. Now, most of us do not look like angry people. Matter of fact, if you were to look around today, people would say, wow, what a pleasant group of people. And for the most part, we are. And for the most part, we try to be. And we work very hard. But for a lot of us, there is a lot of unresolved inner anger. It kind of sits on a slow burn till some event, some what I call a trigger event happens, just kind of, and poof. And then we say, well, that made me get angry, right? And what we know about anger is that anger is a secondary emotion. Nothing makes us get angry. We choose to get angry. That was just the trigger that popped the cork that said we had a right to. And so Psalm 37, if you look down at verses 8 and 10, says this, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. I think this could be applied as well to the Lord. Have you ever been angry with Him? Angry at Him? No, of course, we're good Christians. So say, oh, no, not us, Pastor Steve. Okay? Well, I have been. Okay? Let's just air a little dirty laundry out here. I have been. Not just sort of, kind of, like really, big time. Kind of wicked at them. Not even kind of. Mad. Thinking my point is more righteous than his point and going toe-to-toe with them. And in the process, um, 
what I found is that the more I allowed anger to harbor in my heart, the more it bent me towards evil doing. Guys, one of the ways you can uh, mark or measure your anger level is by the lust factor. Okay, because lust is always anger-based. Did you know that? I've, I teach that in this church. Lust is always anger-based. So if you're struggling with lust, you're struggling with pornography, you're struggling with impure thoughts, you're struggling with adultery, you're struggling with unfaithfulness, you're struggling with all that kind of stuff, one of the ways you can measure that is how angry you are. That's an indicator that there's anger going on inside of your heart and you're having a hard time uh, reconciling the anger because lust is a symptom off of that. If you think about it, what is lust about? I want to make you do what I want to make you do. And you won't do it, so that makes me angry. Gals, for you, it usually takes a completely different uh, tack. It usually has to do with envy, or it has to do with fear, or it has to do with um, lack of security. Right? Because that's more how you're wired. Now, these are stereotypical, um, but um, a lot of times how you can measure your anger level is in those areas. Are you feeling secure? Are you doing those things? But here it's talking about there needs to be an understanding to cease from anger. The, the psalmist is looking at the world, wrestling with the world, going, the world is really making me upset. And God says, step back. Step back. Cease from anger. Forsake your wrath. Don't fret. What is fretting? We don't use that word very much anymore. That's more of a 40s, 30s word, right? What's fretting? We would use the word anxiety, right? I'm anxious. I have a lot of anxiety, right? We hear people say that all the time. And, and we do. What is anxiety? It's fretting. And you can read the Beatitudes, Matthew 5 through 7, and read about what it says about being anxious about your life. And we all know that. But it's amazing how we know that and we still do it. Right? We become very anxious. We fret inside instead of rest inside. And the ultimate it's, uh, point here is that God, God is saying through this psalm, for evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet in a little while, and the wicked man will be no more. You will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. Now we go, yeah, that's true, but Lord, I only have one life, and they seem to be lasting a long time, and they seem to be lasting most of my life. So if it's going to be my whole life, uh, I'm glad that works eternity-wise, but it doesn't seem there's uh, to be a victory for the righteous person or the godly person. But part of sanctification... Part of the sanctification process of becoming like God, of becoming like Jesus Christ, is unplugging the spirit of anger within us. Uh, Any of you, uh, as I said, had a little battle with that? Any of you seen the new movie, Unbroken? Right? Great movie. They played it out really well. Louis Zamperini, a former Olympic athlete, uh, went through the prison camps. But part of what they miss in the movie is the fact that Louis had an enormous anger problem. If you read the book, the book is substantially different in terms of the course of events than the movie is. And part of what they miss, and my wife got mad at me because I'm critiquing the movie, and she said, I'm never going to a movie again, right? Because I wrecked the movie for it. That's not accurate. That's, oh, wow. 
hard to be a pastor and go to a movie um, and have joy at the same time. <laughs> but part of what they do in the movies, they steal Jesus's glory because coming out of the prison camp, Louis Zamperini had an enormous rage problem. He had PTSD like the max. And when he came home and he got married, he was an absolute abusive wreck was vicious, terrible, awful to his wife, did all kinds of horrendous stuff, hit the bottle hard, trying to undo, cover, numb, whatever, what he had gone through through that war experience. And in the movie they say his faith led him to reconcile with the Japanese. It wasn't his faith, it was his faith in Jesus Christ. I just want to make that point really clear. All right? It was Jesus who changed Louis Zamperini. He came to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles, and that's what changed him. And in that spirit, then, he was able to give up his rage and his anger. And in that spirit, then, he was able to go back to Japan and forgive the people who were his captors. Right? We're talking about that kind of rage inside. You know, we have that same kind of rage. We haven't been to war. We haven't uh, been in an internment camp, most of us. Um, but we deal with that same type of PTSD, anger, rage, and is epidemic in church. You ever known an angry Christian? Kind of an oxymoron, right, at terms? But we, we have that. And if we're cultivating presence, one of the things is it does not work well to be angry in the presence of the Lord. Have you noticed that? Psalm, uh, or James says that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. All right? In my world, I'm slow to listen, quick to speak, and easily angered. Anybody else with me? And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about transformation. We're talking about letting God get at that kind of stuff. We're letting God get at the hurts and the wounds and letting his spirit heal it. Listen to what the psalm says. I'm just going to read it to you. Listen to the tone of it. Starting with verse 11. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. Right? Feels true. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword, and they've bent their bow to cast down the afflicted, the needy, and to slay those who are upright in conduct. Scripture is always very clear, knows exactly what the intent of an evil person is, is to take down the godly and take them out. We are an annoyance, an enormous annoyance to a godless person. But he says, Their sword will enter their own heart, and their bowls will be broken. Better is a little with the righteous than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their inheritance will be forever. They will not be ashamed in a time of evil. And so part of what we want to do is cultivate faithfulness to the Lord as we're doing this. If you jump to John 15 now, again, I want to go in the old translation. It says this, if you're in um, this morning NIV or ESV, it'll be a little different, but listen to an older translation. It says, abide in me. The word abide there means what? Dwell. Dwell with me. Live with me. Abide with me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why do we need to move away from our anger? Because James says the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. 
Have you ever used your anger to accomplish God's purpose and then found out it produced the exact opposite of what you thought it would? By the way, in parenting, catch a clue. Catch a clue here. Your anger will not produce the righteousness of God. Why do so many Christian kids walk away from the Lord? I'll tell you one of the reasons. They grew up in a home of anger from mom or dad. Somehow in home we feel like we have the right to throw it. And we would never do in public what we do in home and private. But it marks people. But the issue here is being engrafted as a branch is engrafted in the vine. So we're engrafted into the heart and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit then helps us. And there's a danger of drying up. If you look at John uh, 15 verses 1 through 3... It says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that they bear more fruit. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. And so there's an issue of staying in the Lord's presence. Because if you don't, Scripture says you become like a dry branch. And a dry branch is good for what? Campfire. Right? The life has gone out of it. How many people do you know used to walk with Jesus? Used to go to church? Just in your world, not my world, just your world. How many do you know? Think in your head right now, how many people you used to know used to fellowship together and now you never see them anymore? This issue of drying up is an important one. And I just want to... I'll put a shameless plug here for AIM that Zach introduced and talked about. It says, if you abide in me and my what? Words. Abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I don't put this in human language. Uh, my dad was a World War II Depression era guy, right? And one of the skills we learned as children was not only when to ask dad certain something, but how to ask dad a certain something. All right? Because with my dad, you only got one chance. And if you missed the opportunity, you missed it for good. So you had to be clever and wise and skillful in coming up to my dad. And it did not work if you were manipulating him because he could catch you right away. What do you want? Right? Kill your whole strategy right there. Just boom. All right? And so you had, to, you had to know how to approach dad. Well, thankfully, God is much different than my dad uh, was. But the issue here is, um, if, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. What does that mean? I can ask why, because I know the heart of my dad. I know what my dad wants. I know what is valuable to him. Therefore, I know how to ask appropriately. And part of it is knowing God. And so many people never read God's word for himself. We have uh, four plans this year to read through the Bible in a year. All right, I'm already started. I'm in Genesis. I'm a happy camper again because I'm reading my chapters a day and I'm uh, happy. So here's the four plans. You can read uh, the plan we had last year is there's a read through the Bible in a year. And you have Old Testament and New Testament readings together so you can kind of get a mix of both and you don't have to feel like you were stranded in the Old Testament and can never get out of it. Right. The second plan is uh, unique this year. It's really a fun one. It's mind trippy and weird and all cool as all get out. But it's to read the Bible chronologically. 
that's the order in which the um, events happen in Scripture. Right? So it's the chronological Bible. Many of you are doing that. The third way you can do it is you can be like me and just be a plow jockey. You get in Genesis and you just start reading all the way through. That's what I do every year. Four chapters a day minus Sunday and you will read through the Bible and you'll usually finish in October, which means you can blow a bunch of it and still make it in time. All right? That's what's really cool about that. And, and so, for example, you're saying, well, I didn't even get started yet. Mitch, you're already in Genesis 20. Shoot, I'm 20 chapters behind. Yeah, but here's the deal. If you just picked up and started reading four chapters a day, you'd catch up really quick and you wouldn't be behind by the end of the year. All right? That's really a, a cool thing. So you don't have to be perfect at this. You don't have to understand everything, but you do have to go and say, I want to know the word. If you're saying, well, that's just way too much to chew, here's another way. Another plan is if you read through the New Testament, and you read two chapters a day. That's about five to seven minutes, all right? Unless you get hooked on it and it catches you. But two chapters a day, you would read through the New Testament twice in a year, okay? One of the astonishing facts when I first became a Christian and came rocketing into the kingdom is I freaked out because I thought I was 22 years behind everybody. So I read through the Bible twice in six months. I still have the Bibles all marked up in my office. I'll bring them out and show them to you sometime. And when I started teaching the college and career class, there were 26 students in that class. And I said, how many of you have read through the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi? One hand went up out of those 26 kids. I said, how many of you read through the New Testament? Two and a half hands went up. The third person wasn't sure whether they'd really read through it or not. I said, how many of you have memorized the chapter of Scripture? About five hands went up because they'd all been in vacation Bible school. And I said, how many could repeat it back to me right now? And all the hands went down. Most of our best don't know God's Word. And if we're going through life, there's going to come a time in life here. I don't know the timing. I'm not predicting that yet. But, you know, if you ended up like Louis Zamperini in a cell, you don't have a Bible. You don't have that stuff. And if you don't know it at that point, you can't retrieve what you don't know. God says, if you love me, you'll know my word. You'll love my word. And I want to just put a plug. If you're wrestling with that, um, be a good year to read through. Now is the time. Because there is time. Here's the other point I want to emphasize this morning is that you hang with who you love. Right? Or even uh, you could water that down a little bit. You hang with who you like. Right? And sometimes you hang with people because you have to love them because they're family. Right? You wouldn't necessarily pick them as friends. You wouldn't. uh, Buddy and I were talking about this yesterday. You know, I said, you know, if I was um, not their family, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hang with them, right? Well, that's part of what God gets us to learn how to love. But John 15 says, just as my father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. There's that dwell in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you. And the whole reason Jesus put this whole package together is why? What's he saying? That my what? That my laws might be in you, that my, my discipline might be in you, that my harshness might be in you, that my um, 
precision or perfection might be in you? No. What does he say? So that my joy might be in you. We often miss God's heart. God is a God of joy. And by the way, joy, uh, if you get my age, is a choice. Right? I think the older you get, the more cynical you get, the more you see things are broken. You Joy becomes a choice. And so in this it says, These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that what? Your joy may be full. If I asked you this morning, what's your joy level? Zero to ten. Zero, nothing. Ten overflowing over the tank. What would you say your joy level is? Might be an indicator. Might be an indicator. Right? We can be in our studies. We can be doing all that stuff. But if we have no joy, then we're really missing it. So I'm going to ask the communion uh, servers to come forward right now. Guys, if you would uh, come and help distribute communion. All we ask in communion, uh, since a number of you knew this morning, is that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as your Savior. And you're welcome to join us in communion this morning. But I want to take us through four, while the guys are distributing communion, I want to take us through four takeaways off of what I just walked through with you that are really concrete. I don't think this will be too hard. But when we're talking about the fine art of uh, abiding or cultivating, the first point I want to pull out is this. It's an issue of priority or value. Jesus in Matthew 6 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be added to you. Often we want all these things to be added to us, and then we'll seek the kingdom. That's not how it works. Matthew says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then he hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then Jesus multiplies that and says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls and upon finding one pearl of great price or great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. In other words, when you find Jesus, when you realize who he is, when you see him for who he actually claims to be, you sell the rest of your stuff and you pile into the kingdom because it is the best thing you've got. Why does the guy rehide the treasure? Because he's got to sell his stuff so he can buy the field so that the field is literally his, and then when he pulls the treasure out, he he can have the treasure. Why pearl great price? Because that one pearl is infinitely worth more than the stuff he has. What we're saying is Jesus is worth more than the stuff we have. Jesus is the treasure. And if you're wondering what we're about as a church, here's what we're about as a church. Jesus is the way to salvation. Jesus is the way to eternal life. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose again from the dead. And we have nothing else to give you other than Jesus himself. If you don't have Jesus, this is a great place to be because that's the one thing we can give you. We can tell you about Jesus. That's all we've really got. We don't have anything else to sell. And so... um, when you talk about abiding or cultivating, it's got to be a priority or a value. Where does your time with God rank in terms of priorities and values? I know for me, unless I get up, now I, this is for me, because some of you are night people, some of you are midday people, but for me, unless I get up in the morning and unless I spend the time right out of the chute, I find the rest of the day zips by and I end up looking 
at night going, wow, what happened to the day and what happened to my time with the Lord that I promised with him? So just for me, it's a discipline to get up, not because I have to, because I get to. Um, it's a priority. It's a, it's a high value. Second thing that I think needs to be pointed out is that if you want to cultivate a presence with Jesus, you've, you've got to reject sin. 2 Timothy says this, 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. In other words, salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That foundation is sealed with this inscription. And the inscription says, The Lord knows those who are His. Amen? That's good. By the way, when it comes to eternity, is it your opinion of whether you knew Jesus or Jesus' opinion of whether He knew you? We better get that right. It's his opinion of whether he knows us. Because remember, the Bible says there'll be many who say, Lord, Lord, and he's going, I never knew you. What is he talking about? You never spent time with me. You never wanted to really know me. You just did things. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must move away from wickedness. Part of the strong encouragement with communion is that we have a time where we... um, take stock of our life. We take stock of um, our hearts. Where have we sinned? And we come before the Lord and we ask the Lord to cleanse us and to wash us before we participate in communion. I say, wow, is that a super spiritual thing? No, that's so common, right? You get this. If you're married, does it work if you're trying to eat dinner together and you're mad at each other? Say, well, let's just eat dinner. We'll have a great time. Let's get even more practical, all right? Does it work to make love if you're mad at each other? Now, guys will say, yeah. (laughs) Gals, does that work for you? No, don't you touch me, you creepy maggot. Okay? It's got to be reconciled first. Then you can have communion. And God's saying the same thing. Don't come to me all mad and bent and angry and you sinned and you're polluted and you know it and then you're acting like we're all tight and good and we're buddies and posse. It doesn't work. Okay? So God provided a thing where we can, hey, sort that out a little bit. Where are we with them? That's called communion. It says stop for a second. Where have you sinned? Are you clean? So we're going to do that this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to ask you the question. This morning, where have you sinned? Present yourself before the Lord, before the Holy Spirit, and ask Him if there's anything standing in the way between you and Him of being in a good relationship together before you take communion, because communion is a symbol of being in relationship with Him. Amen. The third thing I want to point out this morning before we come to communion is that cultivation always takes effort. Uh, Your Christian life doesn't just happen. You don't miraculously just wake up and you're good. You don't just naturally obey. It takes uh, 
effort. In First Timothy, it says, be diligent in these matters. In other words, pay close attention. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Right? Now, Timothy was a pastor, so obviously for pastors, that's a great passage. But that's a great passage for all of us. Watch our lives. Look closely. But be diligent and persevere means you've got to put effort into it. You're not just going to magically walk with Jesus. If you want to be married, you better be ready for some effort and you better be ready for some perseverance. Most young couples, when they get married, are thinking about what they will get out of it. They're not thinking about what they have to put into it. Right? It requires sacrifice. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. But does it take effort? Does it take perseverance? Yes, it will. And if you want to cultivate presence with the Lord in 215, it's going to require some effort on your part. It's going to require that you work at it. It's going to require some elbow grease and some get-to. Right? You're going to have to put some effort into it to make sure that that stays your priority. Then I saved this last one for last. All right, so we talked about um, in here uh, priority and value, the rejection of sin, effort. But then the last one is this, desire. You know, your heart follows what you desire. Your, your wallet follows what you desire. Your time follows what you desire. And it shows up in what we do. Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth has nothing I desire besides you? My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There's so many passages I could have pulled from. You probably had five of them come to your head. Why did you pull that one? There's others that are better, and I agree with you. Here's the point. Do you desire a relationship with him? Do you desire to be close to him? Do you desire to be known by him? Is 215 going to be a year where you cultivate presence, where you and Jesus really know each other. You say, have you ever, I would say to you, have you ever really told the Lord who you are? You say, well, why would I have to do that? He already knows who I am. Yeah, but there's something about presence that, Lord, here's my heart. Here's where I'm really at. Here's what it really feels like to me. Right? There's something about that relationally that works really well. Do I desire to be close to him? Do I desire to be closer to him? Are all questions that I think are valuable to ask as we come to communion. And the reason why is because he provided communion as a symbol for us to be close to him. In other words, he wants us to cultivate a relationship. Like any good dad, he wants his children to like him. He doesn't want his children going, oh, that's dad again. What a goofy dad. Oh, dad's a dork, you know. That, that's not the picture painted in Scripture. Dad, you're awesome. Dad, you're wise. Dad, you're cool. Dad, I want to hang around you. All right? When's the last time you saw that on TV? All right? One of the greatest pictures is watching a little girl run up to her daddy and go, Daddy, right? Or boys, Dad, rah, rah. right? Jason, you know how that works. Okay? Twins, right? Part of what we've got to get over is over-spiritualizing and just go, Dad wants to be in a relationship with us. And he went way out of his way to make it possible. He covered our sin. He took the debt we couldn't pay 
so that we could be in relationship. And therefore, we should be the most grateful people on the planet. Jesus said, this is my body, which is a symbol of our sin and the brokenness that it took to cover your sin. He says, always be grateful for what I did for you. He said, eat this in memory of me. When you think of wine, you think of people who sit down who love to be in each other's presence, whether it's lovers or good friends. It's a symbol of presence. Jesus said, I am with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm here in 215 just like I was back when I walked the planet. I'd like to know you. Would you let, you, would you let me know you? And when we take the cup together, it says, yes, I want to cultivate presence with you. Jesus said, drink this in memory of me. This is easy to do. But what it symbolizes is not, we sing a lot of great songs, right? I'm going to ask the worship band to come on up and get us ready to close out the service. We sing a lot of great songs, and often when I'm standing next to Pam, I'll say, uh, easy to sing, hard to live. And you may be saying to me this morning, Steve, easy to say, hard to live. And I'm going, I understand. But you know what? You don't have to cultivate presence alone. We've got community groups where you can get plugged in and be with a posse and be with a group that you can walk together and through 215 cultivate relationship with Jesus. And if you're interested in that, uh, in the bulletin, take that card and fill it out and say, hey, I'd be interested in community groups or I'd like to talk to somebody about community groups. Give us an email or phone number. We'll get a hold of you. We'll help plug you in. Let's make 215 a year where we cultivate his presence. What if we did that to such an extent that when someone walked through the doors, it was so tangible, they, they would walk out of here going, I felt the love of God in that place. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be awe-inspiring. That'd be an enormous relationship. Let's pray. Father, that would be a tremendous gift from you, your manifest presence among us, and we seek it. We are all kinds of things here this morning in all kinds of places. What's great about that is that you know our hearts and you know you've found each of us, you've led each of us. And uh, Lord, we seek you this morning that we would work to cultivate presence with you as well. And we ask that you would help us seek first the kingdom.